Hey, thanks for joining us on the No Limits Church podcast. Here at No Limits, we are on a mission to make a difference in the lives of others. We want to help people know God, find freedom, and discover purpose. It's a journey, and we're all walking it together. So wherever you're listening from, we pray that you are encouraged and empowered by this week's message. In this series, we've already talked about the end-time wealth transfer. We've talked about the the promise of persecution and troubles, and I know that was your favorite one, right? Maybe we should just do that one again. Uh, We've talked about supernatural protection. Last week, I explained how to access all the promises of God because they've all been given to you, but you have to put an effort to access them. And today, we're going to focus on the most important promise because, you know, God's promise of wealth and protection and healing and all those things are great promises, aren't they? They're great and they're awesome, but there's one promise that surpasses them all, and that's God's promise of eternal life. And if you've been to church for long, you might be tempted right now to tune this one out, right? I mean, how many times have we heard about salvation? But I encourage you to engage in this message as if it's the first time that you've heard about salvation, and here's why. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and performed many miracles in your name, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. This is Jesus talking to us, and it should make all of us tremble a little bit and check ourselves. It really should. We're accustomed to being very lighthearted towards our salvation. A lot of people think, I got my salvation, now let me put it on a shelf over here while I live my life, and then God will let me pick it back up again when I die. This attitude reveals that you're probably not truly saved. Instead, you believe in a counterfeit version of salvation that might feel good in the moment, but it ends in destruction. I have the responsibility today to take you back to the basics of salvation. Because, and by the end of this message, you're going to know how to truly be saved. And yes, this is for you. And yes, this is so you can help other people and lead them to true salvation. I believe some of you today will enter true salvation for the first time. Amen. Several days ago, the Lord spoke a profound yet basic truth to my spirit. And here's what he said. He said, you're not saved because you confess me as Savior. You're saved because you confess me as Lord. And after he spoke this to me, I had this vision of a crowd of happy people saying, my sins have been forgiven, my sins have been forgiven, my sins have been forgiven. And then I saw the same people burning in hell. Yes, your sins have been forgiven through the blood of Christ. Jesus truly is our Savior. And I'm thankful. But declaring him as Savior is not what saves you. Declaring him as Lord is what saves you. See, in Romans 10, verse 9, it says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And once again, we approach this verse with an irreverent, lighthearted attitude. We tell people, just repeat after me and say out loud, Jesus is Lord and you're going to be saved. We've turned salvation into a prayer that you repeat one Sunday morning and then you're good. But is that, is that what this verse was saying? Just say out loud, Jesus is Lord, and that's all it takes? No, not at all. You see, the New Testament was translated from the Greek language, which is a much more expressive language than the English language. It takes many English words to explain one Greek word. So when you're studying the Bible, it's a good idea to use a Strong's Concordance to look up the meaning and dig into the meaning of these words. And when you look up the Greek word that was translated to confess, you find out that the meaning is much deeper than just something you say out loud. Here's the full meaning of the word according to the Strong's Concordance. To say the same thing as another, to concede, 
not to deny, to promise, to admit oneself guilty, to declare openly oneself the worshiper of one. That's what the word confess. All of this we translated to one word, confess. So in order to confess Jesus as Lord, you must concede. In other words, you must admit defeat. I'm the one who's guilty here, and I can't fix this. I need a Savior. So now I commit my life to Jesus, and I make a promise this day to openly declare that Jesus is my Lord, and he's the only one that I worship. That's what the word confess means. And the next verse in Romans gives us an even deeper understanding of salvation. It says, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So believing comes first. You must believe that Jesus Christ came in a human body, he died on a cross, and then he was raised from the dead by the power of God. You must believe that in your heart. And then confession is birthed from your belief in Christ. It is a response to your faith. Because you believe, you concede to your own way. And you commit your life to Christ. And that is when you are saved. This reveals that those who say they're saved but go on living a life of sin are not truly saved. They're confessing Jesus as Savior. They believe in forgiveness of sin, but they have yet to confess him as Lord by conceding their own way and following Jesus Christ. John brings us clarity on this issue in 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. He says, Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. That's kind of tough to take, isn't it? We all have friends and family who say they're saved, but their life does not reflect their salvation. That's why this once saved, always saved doctrine is so popular. I mean, it helps us cope, doesn't it, with our loved ones who aren't quite following Jesus, even though they say that they're saved? Or maybe it even helps you cope with your own decisions. You want to be saved, but you don't want to yet concede your life to Jesus Christ. So is this once saved, always saved doctrine truth? Or is it some kind of coping mechanism that eventually ends in destruction. Let's start by taking a look at one of the main scriptures that people use to back up the once saved, always saved doctrine. And it's found in John chapter 10, verse 28. Jesus says this, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. So this is Jesus talking and he's letting us know salvation is a gift. You can't earn it. You can only receive it from Jesus He's also letting us know that no one can take salvation away from you. That's good news. It can't be stolen. Once you receive it, it's yours. Nobody can take it away from you. But does it mean that once you're saved, you're always saved? Well, let's take a look at what Jesus says just a few chapters later in the book of John. Chapter 15. He says, yes, I'm the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. So we know that nobody can take salvation away from us. But now we also know that if we don't choose to remain in Jesus, it's not going to turn out very well in the end. 
The Apostle Peter did a good job explaining this to us, and we talked about this last week. In 2 Peter chapter 1, he goes through those seven things that we need to do to put effort into as followers of Jesus. He says to pursue moral excellence, study the Word of God, practice self-control, remain patient through your trials and sufferings that come on you because of your faith in Christ, develop a reverence towards God, love the body of Christ, and love everyone. And after Peter lists these seven things, here's what he says about those who do not do these seven things. He says, but those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, and they forget that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things, and you will never fall away. Apparently, we are at risk for falling away, or else he wouldn't have to say that. So what's Peter saying here is he's, he's saying that if you don't put in the effort to maintain your salvation, you are most likely going to fall away from your faith. There is no once saved, always saved. At any point in your life, you can choose to walk away from Christ. No one can take away your salvation, praise God, but you can willingly give it up as a result of your disobedience to the word of God. You're not saved because you said a prayer one Sunday morning at church. You're saved because you believe in Jesus and you wake up every day and you say, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. And I am so thankful that I can keep following you even though I don't get it perfect. That I can wake up every day and your mercies are new. And I keep pressing in and I keep following you. You see, I'm concerned that this well-known doctrine of once saved, always saved is going to land a lot of well-meaning people in hell. They're going to go on judgment day. He's going to say, I never knew you. And they're going to go, wait, 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 wait. Because there's a lot of people who confess Jesus as Savior, and they thank Him for forgiveness of sin. And we should all be doing that. Thank you for forgiveness of sin. But they have yet to confess Him as Lord. So let me remind you, declaring Jesus as Savior is not what saves you. Declaring Him as Lord is what saves you. So don't live like the woke fools who are out there proclaiming forgiveness of sin, and then they go on living in sin. That's foolishness. If you follow that path, you will most likely fall away from your faith and end up in hell. Confess Jesus as Lord of your life. That means he's in charge, and you follow him by following his word. You know, it's really hard to believe that we've fallen into this idea that salvation is some lighthearted expression that doesn't require anything of us. That, that shows me that nobody is truly studying the word of God for themselves. If you read the entire New Testament, you're going to find over and over and over the responsibility that comes with your salvation. Yes, it's a gift, but it's a gift that changes you. The Apostle Paul is one of our primary examples of what it looks like to be saved or what it sounds like to be saved. And take a look at what he says in Romans 1.1. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. We are sons and daughters. And like my grandma said this morning, we are friends of Jesus. But Paul, as a follower of Christ, considered himself a slave of Christ because it was no longer his will. He had died to himself, and he was fully following Jesus Christ. And here's another in Jude 1.1. This letter is from Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. So what do followers of Jesus have in common? They're fully submitted to Christ. They're not trying to hold on to their old life. They're fully submitted to their new life in Christ. 
When you truly receive the gift of salvation, you become a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things become new. You are no longer the person you used to be. You now belong to God. You give up your identity in the world, and you walk in your new identity in Christ. That's what happens when you're truly saved. Amen. You're transformed into a new person. If a transformation did not take place when you repeated that prayer one Sunday morning months or years ago, I'm glad you're here today. I'm glad you're here today because now's the time for you to step into your true salvation. To confess Jesus as Lord Jesus, you have to first concede. You must admit defeat. I failed. I sinned. I am the one who's guilty here. I know I can't earn my salvation. I know that I can't outdo the bad things that I've done with good things. I need Jesus. So if that's you today and you're ready to admit that you need Jesus, would you stand to your feet right now? This is your opportunity to concede. Let me address one more thing. When you hear a message like this, you start to think, well, I must not be saved because I still struggle with sin. At no point today did I say that you'll never sin again. I showed you the scripture that says that those who keep on sinning show they belong to the devil. But there's a difference between keep on sinning and living a life of repentance. When you keep on sinning, here's what it sounds like. I know my lifestyle is sin, but I have God's grace and forgiveness, so I'm just going to keep living in sin anyways. Living a life of repentance sounds like this. I can't believe I did that again. Lord, I sinned. That's not who I am anymore. I turn away from my sin, and I look to you to help me live in righteousness. I love how John explains it. He says, but if we, cons- if we, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all wickedness. Don't hide it. Confess it. And Jesus will not only forgive you, but he will cleanse you. And John clarifies this a few verses later. He says, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. Amen. Aren't you thankful God's not looking for perfection? We don't have to get saved again and again every time we sin. We have an advocate, Jesus, who pleads our case before the Father. You see, salvation doesn't require perfection. It requires a pursuit of Jesus. If you're living a sloppy life, if you're making excuses for your sin, if you're submitting to a lifestyle of sin, it's only a matter of time before you fall away from your faith in Christ. But if you're pursuing the things of God, if you're confessing your sins and you're living a life of repentance, your salvation is secure. Remember, nobody can take it away from you. And you're not going to fall away either because you're pursuing God. So I'm not provoking you to perfection today. A lot of people hear a message like this. They're like, oh, crap, I got to live a perfect life. No. None of us are capable of that until we get to our eternal place in heaven. 
But it is a journey that we take to get to that place. We don't just sit here and wait in our filth. We pursue the righteousness. So I'm planting a reverence of God inside of you that provokes you to put in the effort to maintain your salvation. Don't buy into this lighthearted approach to God. Y'all, God is righteous. He is pure. He is holy. And he expects you to honor his gift of salvation by being a display of his righteousness. So I hope you have more reverence for God than you did before you walked in the room today. Even so, I want to take it to the next level by sharing a prophetic word I received from the Lord a few days ago during my morning quiet time. As soon as I sat down that morning to seek the Lord, he put Psalm 109 on my heart. So I immediately opened my Bible and I began to read it out loud. And usually when the Lord gives me a specific scripture like that, it doesn't happen very often, but usually when he does, it's to encourage me to keep going in this pursuit of him, even when I'm facing this crazy opposition. But this time was different. I had a hard time reading it out loud. Psalm 109 is a very graphic chapter where David is calling for the destruction of his enemies. I'll read you a few verses so you can get the idea. So this is David talking about his enemies. He says, when he is judged, let him be found guilty and let his prayer become sin. Let his days be few and let another take his office. Let his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. Let his children continually be vagabonds and beg. Let them seek their bread and also from desolate places. Let their creditor seize all that he has and let strangers plunder his labor. So I always read scripture out loud and it was tough to get through this one. I was thinking, boy, David was having a bad day. Wow. And immediately after I got done reading it, here's what the Spirit of God prophesied to me. He said, I've been patient. They've had their chance to repent, and now is the time of my wrath. My wrath is right at hand. Indeed, it has already begun, and it will start with the execution of kings. Those who lead the wicked will be cut off first, giving their followers another chance to repent. If they don't repent quickly, my wrath will consume them too. Don't fear this disturbing sight. Don't make excuses for what I do or make light of my wrath. Give glory to me as I destroy the wicked and bless the righteous. And so I share this prophetic word with you for two reasons. One, I want to increase your reverence of God. And two, I don't want you to get caught up in fear when these things come to pass. And like the Lord said, we are not to make excuses for what he's about to do. We're not to try to cover for him as if he's made some type of mistake. No, we're to give glory to God as he destroys the wicked and blesses the righteous. And after I wrote down this prophetic word, the Lord led me to read Psalm 109 out loud again. I didn't want to do it the first time. I sure didn't want to do it again. But I obeyed, and as I read it, I began to weep because... The heart of the Father settled into the room, and it does not please him for anybody to perish. He's been patiently waiting for their repentance, but they refuse to repent, and time has run out. And it, it reminds me of how I have to discipline my children, right? I would much rather them repent, but when they don't, they have to come face to face with their actions. Parents in the room know what I'm talking about. If you're a good parent, you discipline your children. Amen. Thankfully, I'm not God, and I don't have to judge where somebody spends eternity. So I can only imagine the pain that he feels when somebody rejects the gift of salvation. 
So I want to give you another chance today, if you're ready to concede and receive God's gift of salvation, stand to your feet. God's patience is about to run out, and you don't have much longer. It's decision time. Are you going to make Jesus your Lord, or are you going to spend eternity in hell? The choice is yours. And he's been so patient. And I, can just, I can hear him calling out to the earth as the last call, receive my gift of salvation. Receive my gift of salvation. You don't have to spend eternity in hell. I made a way for you to spend eternity with me. Concede to your own way and make Jesus the Lord of your life. It's quite possible that somebody's watching online right now or they watch this message online later and that's, that's you. Don't let the enemy lie to you to say, well, you weren't in that service, so this doesn't count for you. It counts for you. No matter what the time difference is, time differences or anything like that, you make Jesus the Lord of your life. You believe that he came in a human body, he died on a cross, and God raised him from the dead. And you'll be saved. You are saved. Praise God. Thank you so much for joining us. And a special thanks to those that give in to our ministry. It's because of your generous giving that we're able to lead people to Jesus and make a difference all around the world. If you're ready to give, head to your browser and type nolimits.fyi into the address bar. And if you were encouraged by this podcast, then hit that share button and pass it on so that others can be encouraged as well. Or you can even take a screenshot and share it on your social stories. Thanks again for listening. Now let's go make a difference.